Okay, so we're going to continue with our Unstoppable God series this morning. And as we run towards Easter, we're just preaching our way through the healing stories in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus uh, and his uh, mission through the New Testament. And uh, Kaz and I this morning are looking at, the, I guess, the, the man formerly known as Legion. Um, Jesus has just, if you're following the story through, Jesus has just had that amazing encounter in the boat with his disciples where he's calmed the storm. He's spoken a word and rebuked the wind and the waves. There's no surprise in, in the way that we'll look in Luke's gospel account. There's no surprise in the way that Luke positions this story. But he wants us to know this is another example of Jesus's authority. First, the wind, the waves, the forces of nature. Now in the story we come to today, demonic powers. We're supposed to make the link. Luke wants us to. Uh, that there's no authority that is greater and higher and stronger than the authority of Jesus Christ. And Luke finds, uh, in the story, we, we find Jesus and the disciples arriving on the south shore of Galilee. They arrive at night. It's the region of the Bible says of the Gerasenes. This is a non-Jewish kind of pocket in the middle of Israel where Samaritans and Gentiles live. People that are unclean as far as the Jews are concerned. And uh, here, under the moonlight, um, in this unclean area, um, out of their natural habitat as, as Jews, Jesus and his disciples, amongst tombs, a place of the dead, um, Luke wants us to realize that, that there is also, not only is there no higher authority than Jesus, but there's no place that his authority cannot extend to. There's no life that it can't reach too. We get a little taste of things to come in this story about the kingdom rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Let me let you in on a plot spoiler. It's going to spread and grow everywhere and fill the earth and nothing can stop it. Even places of evil and death and decay and horror. So let's just read the text uh, in Luke chapter 8. I'm sure it will come up on the screen as well. We'll pick up at verse 26. They sailed Jesus and his disciples to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons had come out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. I bet they did. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who'd seen it 
told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with them. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Lord Jesus, we, we come to you now. We come and submit ourselves to your word. We thank you already. Lord, by your spirit, you've been working, speaking into our hearts. Lord, we thank you. You've already reassured us there's no pain that's too deeply rooted, too strongly embedded that you can't come and deal with this morning. There's nothing that we've got used to, even over years in our attitudes, our emotions, our spirits, or our physical bodies that you're not able to set us free from. We just welcome you now. Would you release your presence and your authority? May it take root in every heart now. As we open your word, would you just rebuke fear over us and and give us an opportunity to encounter you with joy and freedom, we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. So Kaz is going to come and take us through the next part, particularly some of the stuff on the the demonic. Hello. So we've seen Jesus. We've seen Jesus as he traveled across the Lake of Galilee and he steps out of the boat and he's met by a demon-possessed man. So we we need to unpack this passage, don't we? We need to have a look at what this phrase in particular means because actually it's not one that we hear often today. So we need to be sure that we know what it means. So the original Greek um, was uh, translated or can be translated into the word demonized. And that means um, to behave under the control or the influence of a demon, or an evil spirit. Because sometimes they're called demons, sometimes they're called evil spirits. They also, from this little phrase of demon-possessed, we have the word dominion. And that we understand to mean dominated or controlled by an evil spirit. So we meet this man. He's naked. He's supernaturally strong. No one can control this man. He's totally excluded from society. He's living in the tombs, as Steve said. This isn't actually the welcome that we would expect for Jesus, is it? But we read on in the text, as Steve just did, and we discover that this man was the reason that Jesus made his journey. This is why Jesus crossed the water. So as we read biblical accounts of things that actually might be really far removed from our own world today, we need to keep being aware of what our thought processes are as we read the scriptures and as we read the accounts. Are we reading these things with open minds? Are we asking the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us as we read them? that we might understand what we're reading. And actually, we're not dismissing things away, things that we might not like very much, things that don't sit happy with us, things that we simply can't grasp. The world around us will tell us all sorts of things, won't it? It'll dismiss things away. It's not really real. They'll dismiss the miraculous. 
And it's this account today that actually scholars around us, people, clever people around us, might tell us that this man was simply <laughs> struggling with a min- mental illness. The writers of the Bible, just, they just didn't understand. They didn't get it. We know more now. But let's keep remembering to read the Bible through God's eyes as much as we can. Let's read it with a biblical worldview. Because if actually we compare other accounts through the Bible, we can read that Satan that we've read about today is real and his demons do exist. So we need to be aware. And actually, one thing, we need to be really aware that it's Satan's plan to hide himself from us. He doesn't want us to realize that he is actually there. It's his plan to lie, to put us off our guard. And actually in John chapter 10 and verse 10, it says the thief, and that's Satan, comes only to steal, to kill and to destroy. And it's the devil's plan to tear men, women, boys and girls away from God for all eternity. So in this, in this passage that we just read in John 10, he's called the thief. But he's actually given all sorts of names through scripture. So let's, the, and actually those names help us to grasp who and what Satan is. He has the title of the prince of this world and also the god of this age. Now that's with a small g, not a large g. He is not comparable to God. But what we can grasp through some of these names is that he leads a group of beings. He's their prince and he's their god. Satan actually heads up a kingdom. Ephesians 6 chapter, sorry, Ephesians 6 verse 12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of evil in the heavenly realms. There were quite a lot of plurals in there, weren't there? Rulers, authorities, forces. It suggests to us that there's rank, there's organization, there's actually a kingdom. Satan has spirits under his rule that follow his command. And it's these spirits that are given assignments. Daniel chapter 10 actually speaks of a demon that is called the Prince of Persia. It's he's, he's given a task, and it's his task to rule over the place of Persia. Demons are assigned to cause trouble and destruction in the lives of individuals, in churches, in homes, in towns, in cities, and whole nations. Satan, who is called the god of this age, gives them authority to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But we see here in this passage, and in other accounts, that Jesus has greater authority. And as followers of Jesus, 
If we love the Lord Jesus, we have been given greater authority. The name of Jesus gives us authority. Mark 16, Jesus says, in my name, they will drive out demons. The truth is, Jesus has already won the victory. He has all authority. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Our eyes need to be on the risen Lord Jesus. Let's not get distracted. Let's not be preoccupied with Satan and his schemes. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. But we do need to be alert. We do need to be aware. But we must not come under fear of the devil because we have the authority in the name of Jesus. So Jesus, he gets out of the boat. He's met by this demon-possessed man, one dominated and controlled by an evil spirit. Now, we read about how he behaves, but we're not really given any background about how he got into this state. We know, we've just said, that Satan has a plan to ruin to destroy mankind, Um, and exactly what's described in this story, a man who is on the path to destruction. But how did this happen? How do these evil spirits gain entry into lives? Now this, what I'm going to run through now, is not an exhaustive list um, of ways that the devil gains entry, but it would seem that Satan will use any any weak area or aspect of our lives. And these include sin. Sins that we have done and also things that we haven't done that we know we should have done. If we have unconfessed sin lurking in our hearts, the devil will use those to control us. If we have habitual sin, things that we keep returning to, things that we do over and over again, this opens us up to Satan. Ungodly beliefs about our own identities, getting involved with magic and the occult, even the innocent thing of reading the horoscopes in the newspaper. It opens up our thought lives to evil spirits, and their control. We open ourselves up to the demonic in sexual impurity. There are ways that Satan gains control of our lives through no fault of our own, through our own life circumstances that actually we might not have had any control over, which I think is particularly unfair. But we do have to remember, of course, that the devil is not interested in fairness at all. So let me give you an example by what I mean by life circumstances. Now, if a child were to grow up in a home that was spiteful and unloving, words that would be spoken over him can cause damage. So I hate you. I wish 
I never had you. I don't want you here. These words cause hurt, don't they? And they sow seeds of destruction that are planted and take root. They invite the presence and the activity of demons and the demon of hate and rejection. Now, this child doesn't deserve it. It might be a tiny little thing. He doesn't deserve this. He doesn't invite all of this uh, oppression. But the life circumstance opens up demonic oppression. You see, there's a thought process that takes place. When a child hears, I hate you, he will slowly come to believe that everyone hates him, that no one loves him, that he is actually unlovable, and that he will be alone. These are ungodly beliefs about himself that are then grasped onto by the devil who whispers more lies that agree with these thoughts. And it's these beliefs that then solidify and they become what he builds his life upon. Keeping people at arm's length, pushing them away, hurting them before they hurt him. A demon has made his home in this child's mind by lying and deceiving and ultimately keeping him away from his loving Heavenly Father. Now, a similar thing can happen when we align ourselves to our fears. When we have fear in our lives, we allow it to make its home in our heart and our mind. We feed that fear and cultivate it. And we can actually cause those fears to be realized or to come true. Let's say we become afraid or we're afraid that we might um, suffer an illness like our grandparent, maybe a mental illness or, or a cancer that took them. And it's opening ourselves to that fear that is not of God, opens our minds to a spirit of fear that then comes in and makes its home and the reality of that can then be realized. These things are not fair. Our fears and our worries open our hearts to the lies and the control of the devil. But let's remember, we have the Holy Spirit and we have God's word that is actually a really good instruction guide. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says, we demolish the arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What does this mean? Every time we have thoughts that cannot be backed up by the truth of God, we speak to them and we apply what is truth from scripture. If I believe that I am unloved, 
I can read the word of God and see that that is not biblical. I can then find a verse, there are many of them, that tell me that I am loved. And I apply that to that lie. If I need to speak to myself, then speak to myself. I give you permission to speak to yourself. It's okay. (laughs) So, we don't know why and how this man was possessed or controlled by an evil spirit, but we are told that it was unclean. And this term is often used in connection with sexual sin or with witchcraft or magic. Here we see a man whose life is totally stripped of any value or any worth. He's naked. He doesn't have a home. He lives in the tombs. He has supernatural strength. He has and has broken chains that bind him. He's had chains on his hands and on his feet. He's broken them off. It's not exaggerated. Let's not explain it away. Because actually, there's a similar account of this, um, this occurrence in Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark 5. Man broke the chains. No one was strong enough to subdue him. He would have been a terrifying sight. Actually, he looks a little bit like a counterfeit Samson. He was a man found in the book of Judges in the Old Testament. But he was chosen by God, and he was described as an extraordinary man of strength. But this, his strength was directly tied to his obedience to God. And you know, Satan, he doesn't actually have many new ideas of his own. He will copy and counterfeit God. And he, but of course, he will use it for our destruction, where God, for our good. But this man recognizes the authority of the Son of God, Jesus. The demon speaks, telling Jesus his name. It's legion, because there are so many spirits that have gone into him. We don't know how many. We can assume that there were a lot, because in a legion, there are 6,000 soldiers. It's quite a lot. We don't know the number, but there are a lot of them in this man. But when Jesus spoke, these demons knew that they had to leave. They recognized who Jesus was. Up until this point, we know that men failed to recognize who Jesus was, and men still fail to recognize who he is today. But Jesus the son of the most high God, is what they call him. There was no question. There was no debate. No confusion of which of them had the authority. In the name of Jesus, demons must flee. They have to leave this man. But they beg Jesus not to be sent into the abyss. Abyss with a a capital A. So it's a place. What is this place? I looked it up. It's mentioned a number of times through scripture, mostly in the book of Revelation. And it's a place of confinement 
for evil spirits, and actually even for Satan. And these spirits here, they beg not to go to the place of confinement, but instead they, they want to go into this herd of pigs, to which Jesus gives his permission. They leave the man, they go into the pigs, the herd rush down the bank, into the water, and are drowned. Now, we don't have to use this as a, as a formula or a process. We don't need a herd of pigs standing by in order to see the demonized set free. But what we do need is the authority of Jesus. When people are set free from the hold of an evil spirit, we need to be aware of his schemes. Matthew 12 tells us when an unclean spirit is left a man, it roams through dry places in search of rest. The demon is restless and discontent without a body. So it wants to re-enter a person. Unless, of course, that person does what is necessary to keep it out. In order to be free and stay free, we must be filled and keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we live our lives in line with what God teaches us. The owner of these pigs would have lost so much that day. 2,000 pigs are described in the Mark account, but the demonized man gains his freedom. Jesus takes this demonized man, this unclean man, and makes him clean. Jesus, the life giver, gives this man a new life. He's now described as in his right mind. The unclean spirits are sent into unclean animals, leaving the man made in God's image clean, new, and healed. Steve. So I think it's really important to... Uh, yeah, well It's really important as we work through these passages, we, we hit stories like this that we would normally not necessarily teach about on a Sunday. Kaz is quite right to say we, we don't want to focus on Satan. We want to make much of Jesus, which we're doing. We lift him up this morning. But it's really important that we're aware of his schemes and how he works. She mentioned um, John 10.10, 10, the enemy strategy to steal, kill and destroy. The rest of that verse is, but I have come, Jesus says to bring life and life in all its fullness. And if, if we want to know what that kind of um, life looks like, um, then there's no better summary than in this story we've read today. And just for a few minutes, I'll bring some application um, uh, uh, for us this morning so we can pray together and, and finish by praying and worshipping and seeing what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Verse 35, 36 are a wonderful kingdom summary in Luke 8. What does the kingdom of God do? Emma read the passage this morning uh, in our worship time about him bringing release and freedom to the captives. And here in verse 35 and verse 36, we get a great idea of what it looks like from being demonized and destroyed and broken uh, to being totally set free, gone from being uh, in, in captivity to being captivated by Jesus. First of all, the demons have gone. 
Okay, that's good. Uh, the one who promised to set captives free has done so uh, again. He's driven out. It's a forceful word, driven out the enemy. Secondly, uh, as we've read, this man is found clothed. You can be clothed th- this morning. Right back at the very beginning of the story, when Adam and Eve are put out of the Garden of Eden and they recognise their nakedness as they've given themselves to sin. For the first time, they come under shame and guilt. And God makes clothes for them to cover their shame. It's an extraordinary little verse in Genesis 3 at the beginning, but it's a little signpost for us, pointing to the day that's coming one day when the Saviour Jesus will be a covering for all of our sin and all of our shame. And here in this story, we get another signpost. Jesus has yet to die on the cross at the point of this encounter with the demonised man. But, but this man comes to Jesus and is clothed completely. I don't know whether Jesus gave him a spare set of clothes that he might have had in his backpack uh, as he went on the boat with his disciples. And certainly this man was now clothed in the new life of Jesus Christ. He's no longer naked. He's no longer ashamed like Adam and all of us from the beginning outside of Christ. Now accepted, now brought in. His outer clothing just signifies an inner work of God. Demons gone, clothed, in his right mind. This description of this man that we've heard this morning is so restless and confused. That's what the demonic does. It brings us into confusion and destruction. It's as though the enemy wants to steal from us the very image of God that was planted in mankind, made in God's image in the beginning. It's as though the enemy's strategy is to dehumanize us. If he can do so to such an extent that we no longer bear our image bearers of God, he's not able to do that because we are men and women made in the image of God. And that's what the Lord begins to restore to this man. And so much of it, as we've heard today, the battle starts and finishes in our mind. And this man now is no longer restless. The clothing change and the mind change speaks of a dignity that is restored to him. This man made in the image of God, now restored into relationship with God, the peace of God. The peace that was spoken over the storm just a few hours before has now taken over internally in this guy's mind and his heart. All of his living under fear and depression and anger and, and maybe all those lies and ungodly views that he'd had about himself uh, that had led him to this point, it's all gone in a moment. The, the Lord wants to restore our minds. If you get no other application from this morning. The Lord wants to restore your restless mind, the the place where restlessness and fears so often takes root. Love Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Friends, the gospel is good news for those of us with troubled minds. More than just a bit of peace to soothe us in our restless minds, the gospel teaches us that if we've only ever known confusion and fear, we can, we can now not only have the peace of God to soothe us and calm the waters, but even we can begin to come into having the mind of Christ itself. Isn't that amazing? We share the mind of Christ, the gospel teaches us. We come into a right relationship with God. We have clear thinking. The Holy Spirit leads us into truth. Demonic confusion is gone. We're brought into right relationship. Maybe that's true for some of you right now, even as you're listening this morning. And then we find again this kingdom summary. Um, Demons gone, uh, clothed, in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. This describes a worshipper, like so many others who came to Jesus in these stories. Desperate, 
broken, now restored. Now uh, their humanity and their dignity restored. Now his mind cleared and, and free. Now the lies and the, the destructive voices silenced. Now the controlling power driven out by the authority of Jesus. Now able to hear and receive and take hold of truth. Uh, now coming into a place where he's able to freely and deliberately worship the Lord Jesus. That's always the response of those who are set free by Jesus. And then we get this, the rest of this summary. He's physically restored. The word uh, in verse 36 that the onlookers use for cured, the, the Greek word that the New Testament is written in, is a word that we pronounce in English. Uh, we've kind of anglicized it, sozo. It means more than just being cured or healed uh, in a narrow sense. It's a word that speaks of a broad salvation. It means you've been totally restored. It's a kingdom word. It's full of the restoration that comes to body, soul, mind and spirit um, when the peace of Jesus breaks into our turmoil. We used to sing a song a a few years ago, um, um, and the grace that is changing me from a hopeless case to a child that's free. Some of you might remember that, that song. Who would have said that at midnight when Jesus and his disciples arrived, that by morning this man, this hopeless case, would be a worshipper of the Lord Jesus Christ? Um, he wasn't just a hopeless case. I, I think in his society he was a sectioned case. He was pushed out. He was chained up. He was locked away from society. That's what happens when people who are sectioned. This man has gone from being a sectioned case to a child that is free, completely restored through one encounter with Jesus Christ. No wonder the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We are brand new creatures. And so for our application this morning, no matter what you or I may find ourselves confused and trapped in, whatever bondages we may find ourselves tied up in, no matter what schemes of the enemy you may be aware of that are against you, no matter how far it has advanced in your life, this worst case Example that we find here in Luke chapter 8 is to teach us that Jesus can set us free in a moment. Uh, Whatever darkness that you've even deliberately given yourself to, whatever you get up to at night that you think no one else sees, no one else knows, whatever chains are strongholds in your life, whatever lies are in your mind, as we've heard this morning, Jesus crossed the lake. He calmed a storm just to meet this man, just to restore this man. Jesus is here today. We're welcoming him this morning as we worship. Can I urge you not to miss these moments to come and fall at his feet and to encounter the one that can set us free completely. Restore our dignity. Break the lies and the fears in your mind and mine. Restore the image and the call of God in our lives. And this man becomes a, he's transformed not just into a worshipper, but a missionary worshipper. And I'll I'll finish with this. We'll leave the rest of the notes for another time. Have you noticed the onlookers send Jesus away? They're afraid. And there is a kind of fear when people approach Jesus that leaves, leaves them to reject him. They've missed their opportunity to encounter him. But there's also a right kind of fear. Uh, a fear and amazement. We saw it earlier with the disciples in the boat when Jesus rebukes the storm. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? This is the kind of fear that leads to reverence and to worship. It's a right kind of fear of God. And this worshipper, the man formerly known as Legion, he needs a better name than that now, doesn't he? Um, He asks Jesus, can I go with you? Can I join your band of disciples? But Jesus commissions him to stay. Verse 39, did you notice that in the text? 
It's just worth saying this before we uh, take some time to pray for one another. Often we miss these little summaries at the end of these gospel stories. We're so quick to the application for our own hearts, but we miss the, the kind of missional outworking. We're, we're part of, have you noticed, we're part of the church planting movement there. Already we're involved in much training and sending of people, but most of us are commissioned to stay and go, not go and go, if you understand what I'm saying. There's a responsibility for those of us who are transformed as worshippers of Jesus to go and tell as many people as we can about what Jesus has done in our lives, but most of us will do it at home. In any other area of life, if something has been helpful for us, we will recommend it. We had a gift voucher from our financial advisor this week because I passed his name on to a friend and they've now also taken some business with him and we've been blessed with a little gift voucher. I've recommended my financial advisor to a friend. How much more in the most significant areas of our lives where Jesus has transformed everything should we not be eager to share him and to recommend him to the friends around us, to be bold in sharing what Jesus has done. Uh, sometimes we make sharing the gospel so complicated. It really is simply telling people, this is what Jesus is doing in my life right now. There's power in our testimony. We've been hearing lots of stories over these last few weeks and last couple of months. The, the stories and testimonies are powerful because they point to the transforming work of Jesus. The Jesus who says, I'll draw all men to myself. A huge part of what we're learning at the moment, I think, is just going to be about telling our story. As we move to the Love Crawley outreach in the summer, we could make it really complicated and clever and strategic. But actually, we're just trying to equip one another to share what Jesus is doing, to tell those around us. I, I think this story is significant. When you come later to Acts chapter 8 and the birth of the early church, we find this man has returned to his towns, this non-Jewish area outside of God's people. When we get to Acts chapter 8, we find in Samaria, the same area, the gospel is beginning to take root. Um, people are becoming believers in Jesus. The demonized are being set free. The sick are being healed to such an extent and so rapidly that people say there's great joy in that city. I think that this man's story, just three, four years before, maybe has laid the foundation about Jesus for the kind of breakthrough that the first disciples now see uh, in Acts 8 in Samaria. They'd heard something. They knew this man. They recognised the stories about Jesus really do make a difference. They really do make a change. They met the woman at the well in John chapter 4 from the same region who said to her village, come and meet the man who's told me everything I've ever done. I think these kinds of stories laid the foundation for a later breakthrough and revival. And so friends, we, we need to go and tell our story. Don't wait till June the 23rd to 25th. You never know when the seeds of the story that you have begin to bear fruit for God's kingdom. We are commissioned to stay and go. So, can we stand together? We've got more to say, but I think let's make some room to, to pray. Joe, come and help us. The gospel's written into this story. We've got this twofold application. An awareness of the schemes of the enemy. Cassie, come up here. I need you to pray in a minute. Awareness of the schemes of the enemy but a confidence that the authority of Jesus is able to break the bondage over each one of us and ascending for worshippers like you and me, full of the Holy Spirit, to go tell our story with confidence. We thank you, Jesus, light of the world. You've, you've broken into our lives. We thank you, Jesus. The, the scandal of the gospel, you became impure for us. You were stripped naked for us. Your body was harmed. 
you were tied and nailed to a cross for our shame. All the impurity and dirt and darkness and sin and uncleanness of our broken humanity was, was poured over you in your perfection on the cross. We recognize all the oppression of the enemy, all the dark demonic forces were crushed upon your body and mind and emotions on the cross. Jesus, like in this story, you were taken outside of the city of Jerusalem and you were nailed to a cross and you were killed and you were despised, rejected, cut off from your people, even cut off from your heavenly Father. You were driven over the edge like the pigs were, carrying away our sin. You were pushed over into death. Your body was laid in a tomb. Lord Jesus, thank you. You've carried our sin away. You've hurled it into the sea. You've drowned it forever. And, and Lord, you're different to this story because you've been raised to life. And we're, as we've been singing this morning, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. You've lifted us up from the mire. You've set us up on the rock in your resurrection. And so, Lord, we thank you that you're the God that can bring a broken, shameful man like me into the presence of the Father in new clothes, clothed in Christ, clothed in perfection, restored in my right mind. What a saviour you are. We respond to you with joy and worship this morning. Just before we, we pray, particularly about the uh, freedom from demonic oppression, if you, if you have not yet said, Jesus, I want to follow you with my whole heart, I must follow you with my whole heart. If you've not yet become a worshipper of Jesus, while everyone's just got their eyes closed now, would you just lift your hand up if you're ready to follow Jesus this morning? If you're ready to know that change from death to life, I don't know all your hearts here. Maybe everyone here is already a Christ follower. But just for the one or two here that maybe have not yet taken that step, just pop your hand high now so we can see. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. From a hopeless case to a child that's free. Thank you, Jesus. You're releasing people right now. Thank you, Lord. Are there any others this morning? Just put your hand up high. You're ready to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Yeah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We need to do some more baptisms soon, elders. We need some dates in the diary. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We're free to give you praise. Let's just respond with our worship song for a moment, and then Cassie's going to read a prayer over us just to bring some release.